and we are unsure what is going to happen with our son. There were just so many uncertainties, as you can imagine. There was nothing that we could do to help him. They gave us one minute to say goodbye. We, um, I hugged him so tight. We all three cried together, and then we had to leave our son. Welcome back to the Prepare Podcast. We're continuing our series on exploring all different types of grief. And on today's episode, I welcome Captain Kelly Hanton. Captain Kelly is the candidate secretary for the Salvation Army Central Territory, and she is also my sister-in-law. And she has an incredible story of God's redemptive and healing power in her life. I hope you enjoy this episode with Captain Kelly. Welcome to the Prepare Podcast, Kelly. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. We are so glad that you took the time to talk to us in our series on grief. We are exploring all different types of grieving. But before we get into the deep stuff, we just need to know a little bit about you. So tell us about yourself. Tell us what you do now, what your current appointment is, your family. Feel free to brag on your boys. Go for it. Yeah, well, my um, current appointment is as the Territorial Candidate Secretary. If you're unfamiliar with what that is, it is a really great ministry that I get to come alongside of um, men and women who are on their journey to discovering God's purpose for their lives. It includes candidate recruitment. We have an internship program, and then I get to... As I'm walking alongside these individuals who have had who have said yes to officership, they um, get to go through a paperwork process with me, and and it's really great, and I love to be a part of it. Um, it's really rewarding, it's really challenging, but it's fun, um, and I get to do God's work. And yeah. how cool is that? I am a mom to four boys. Mm-hmm. I have Keegan, who's 20, and I have a 17-year-old. That's Cole. And then I have twin 11-year-olds, Madden and Ryan. My husband and I had two adorable little boys, and we decided <laughs> to try for one more time for a girl and ended up with two more boys. <laughs> so God definitely has a sense of humor. Yeah. Um, but they are just... They're my joy, and they are—they um, remind me each and every day of the love that the Father, our Heavenly Father, has for us mm. because of how much I love them. I like the love that God has for us. I can't even imagine how much more. It just feels like I love the boys so much, and mm. God loves us so much more. And yeah. that's such an incredible reminder each and every day. And then I have two of the best dogs in the whole world. <laughs> Casey the Yorkie. Um, her name is Kansas City. And I have Hank. And Hank is a Choweeny, and <laughs> <laughs> which is fun to say, mm-hmm. a Dachshund Chihuahua mix. Okay. He likes to bite visitors, but he's <laughs> yes. so sweet to us. And we love him so much. Just don't come over unannounced. Yeah. <laughs> Lest you leave with a hole in your leg. Yes. But, um, but he really is the funniest, cutest little thing. So that that's me. Um, I love sushi, long walks on the mm. beach, reading. <laughs> okay. Candy. And I love candy. Swipe left. If you <laughs> wait, what is it? Swipe right? Swipe left. I don't know. Okay. And you and I, we are family. 
We are sisters-in-law and we are so blessed to be living so close to one another. I know. And this is the first time we've ever lived near each other. Really it is. Yeah. Which is so, so super cool. Yeah. And I feel like we, since coming here, since Tom and I moved here with our family in 2019, and when you guys came at around the same time, I felt like we needed each other too during that time. And then the yeah. pandemic happened and it was just like, God just orchestrated that whole thing. 100%. So I'm so grateful. But um, so before you guys were stationed here at Territorial Headquarters in your current positions right now, you were the divisional youth secretaries for the Kansas and Western Missouri Division in Kansas City. Yep. And um, something major, big happened to your son, Cole, while while you lived there. And I'm just going to let you tell us what happened. Tell us that story. Mm-hmm. Well, it was on Memorial Day weekend. So Cole had about two weeks left of school. And a week before they were to be off school, we were moving to camp. And so it was right in that transition of camp, the camping season. Um, and Mike and I knew that we were moving. We knew we were in marching orders. So we were cleaning the house and getting everything ready. And, and all that goes into packing and, you know, the list of, of chores that we're given as we um, prepare our house. And um, while we were cleaning our house, we received a phone call from the principal saying that Cole had made an inappropriate joke that his hand, he like held his hand in the shape of a gun to his Mm -hmm. friend. And he was trying to make a pun calling that a hand gun. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not a good choice. Like that was not, that was an inappropriate joke. He didn't think that it was an inappropriate joke at the time. I know he def- definitely knows it's inappropriate now. <laughs> yeah. But um, at the moment, you know, he was just being silly with his friend. And his friend said, really, he he ca- kind of called it out, out loud and said, um, what Cole said, he's going to blow up the school. Mm. And that's not what Cole said. He mm-hmm. said, this is my handgun. And so... The teacher, you know, overheard and then um, the principal called us and said, you know, unfortunately, Cole made an inappropriate joke at school and he's going to have to have um, a couple of days of suspension because we do have to take it serious. Mm. And so we were like, oh, okay, well, we'll talk to him when he gets home. You're right. That was very inappropriate. You know, we'll definitely help him to understand the difference between an appropriate joke and an inappropriate joke and why that was inappropriate. So I went downstairs and I told my husband what was going on, that we had to go and actually was going to send him to the school to pick him up because, you know, he's the dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's the dad. Yeah. And I was like, you, you go and pick him up. <laughs> As we were kind of getting our, you know, key, Mike was getting his keys together, getting his shoes on. Um, he received a second phone call from the police station and they asked us to come to the police station to pick up Cole. And so, you know, we at first were like, what? Maybe we were just wondering if they were trying just to scare him or Mm. like we weren't sure what to expect, but we definitely thought we were just going to the police station to pick Cole up and bring him home. Mm. And and we were irritated. We thought, okay, well, this is overboard suspension. Yes, it was a joke. 
and it was an inappropriate one. And we do, we stand by the school and their decision for the discipline action that they chose to put in place. What ended up happening is that the police officer that was stationed at the school had overheard what had happened or what Cole had said. And he took it upon himself to arrest Cole, Mm. um, put him in handcuffs and took him to the police station where we met him. We found out later on that the school didn't even know that the police officer took Cole off the premises. Wow. They didn't know that Cole was even arrested. So Mike and I drove to the police station and we sat through two hours of interrogation, which was horrible. And it was, you know, it was exactly just like you see in the movies, you know, the two way glass. It was this police officer who was really trying to, (laughs) he was really trying to get Cole to say um, what he like specifically what he wanted to hear. He Mm -hmm. wanted Cole to say that he threatened to blow up the school three times. Oh, my word. And Cole kept saying, I didn't say that. Right. So what had happened was we, I I finally said, you know, I think if, if, you know, if I can help, he is telling you the truth. He, he didn't say that. And actually it was his friend Nico who said that. And um, then the teacher asked Cole, what did Nico say? And Cole repeated what Nico said. And then she asked him one more time and Cole repeated what Nico said. So it was all very confusing. And it was just this time of what in the world is happening right now. And it was this time of seeing my son who had literally just turned 14 a month before in kind of a a hollow shell of Mm. himself. I could tell that he had already had his time of crying before we got there. And he was just empty. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. There was nothing there. And so we were, um, you know, Mike and I were trying to, we didn't know. We didn't know what we could do. And we didn't know what we could say. Because who prepares you to sit through an interrogation right. for two hours with your son? Right. Nobody prepares you for that. So we didn't know what, how we could help him. Mm-hmm. How much could we say? Could we touch him? We had no idea what we were allowed to do and what we weren't. And so the police officer, uh, he asked us to sign this paper saying that we could take him home. It was like a paper that promises that um, we would bring Cole back for his hearing, but he had to stay with us until the hearing. And then some, another police officer came in and said, you should never have been asked to sign that paper uh, because Cole is being held on the charge of a threat of terrorism. Oh, my gosh. So um, we asked, you know, what was going to happen. And the police officer said that Cole would be held at the jail for up to 30 days until his hearing trial. And then depending on whatever the sentence came from the hearing trial, he'd have to carry that out. And so here we are getting ready to make a move, literally moving to THQ. Mm Mm-hmm. And we are unsure what is going to happen with our son. If I mean, there were just so many uncertainties, as you can imagine. Right. But it was just a moment of a loss of control, mm-hmm. really. There was nothing that we could do to help him. Mm-hmm. 
they gave us one minute to say goodbye. We, um, I hugged him so tight. And Mike did. We all three cried together, and then we had to leave our son. Yeah. Um, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. We walked out, and the police officer that arrested Cole walked with us. And um, as soon as we got out to, like, the foyer, just kind of away from, like, the processing desks and where all of the people were, something snapped in me, and mm. I was centimeters face-to-face with him. I was in his face screaming at him. And um, my husband pulled me off of him, the police officer, <laughs> so, so that, you know, I didn't join my son. And I turned around and I immediately started hyperventilating. And my physical body, I had no control over my physical body. Yeah. So I had no control over what was happening with my son. Right. And I had no control over what was happening with me. And that sense of loss and desperation mm-hmm. was unbearable. Yeah. It was it was literally my worst nightmare. Yeah. Well, I I remember getting the call from Mike and you know, my husband, Tom, his brother, and then I think I called you. I think I called you that later that night. Yeah. Yeah. Just so that we could cry together and pray together. And, um, my, I immediately went into mom mode myself, you know, I immediately tried to put myself in your shoes, what you were experiencing, but I, I couldn't, I I could only imagine what you were going through. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like, um, in those moments, we, you had to rely so much on your faith and on your family and people coming around you. But just describe that night. Like, how did you get through the night? Walk us through. You got home. What did you do? Well, we got home and actually we ended up going back. Um, we got home and we had to get some medications to take to Cole. And so we were able to see him one more time. And we thought, we really thought that we were going to be able to just to hold him a little bit more because we asked if we could see him. And we saw him behind glass Mm -hmm. and we had to use phones to talk to him, which was just another Mm -hmm. big hit to all of us. Um, And again, it was like the movies. When we got home, um, Lieutenant Colonels, Dave and Darlene Harvey were with us and, you know, they actually, they met us at the house. Mm -hmm. So I think Lieutenant Colonel Darlene was already there um, waiting for us and, they really were so helpful to us. They took the other kids back to their house. Mm. And then right after they left, um, our core officers and really, really just best friends, captains, Corey and Heidi Strand met us at the house and um, stayed with us. Um, I off and on kept just hyperventilating. Yeah. I can't explain like how, you know, I wouldn't even be crying. Mm-hmm. It's just all of a sudden it would happen again. And that night, I really just cried myself to sleep. Mm-hmm. I remember my kids came home. My other kids came home and they saw me and my face was just, it, I didn't even look like myself. Um, mm-hmm. It was just overworked, I think. My kids were like, what is wrong with her? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I was so puffy and so strange looking to them. Um, we put them to bed and then again, I cried myself to sleep. Mike um, called the principal 
and left a message on his voicemail that night. It was late. It was probably 10 o'clock that he called and left a voicemail message just saying, how could what was a joke end up being now my son is in jail and we don't know what is going to happen with him. And, um, I mean, a blessing from the Lord, the principal called us immediately. I mean, wow. Who checks their voicemails at 10 o'clock at night? Right, right. And he called us and he said, I, I didn't even know that Cole was, had been taken for oh like God. arrested or taken off the premises. I didn't know any of this happened. And so, um, he was really in our corner and said that he would call the superintendent's office and that they would work to help do anything that they could to get Cole out. And um, Cole had never been in trouble before. He is a good student. You know, it, it just was so out of character for right. him to even make an, an appropriate joke. And so they were just really, really so helpful. And I remember all through the night waking up not because I wasn't, you know, I was totally exhausted. I am sure that my exhaustion was was just giving me a very, very restless sleep. But I remember every time I woke up, I could hear my husband walking around the house um, crying, hmm. just walking, just walking all around the house. Hmm. And he never really cried with us. He was very strong. Not that he didn't have any emotions, but he just... Somebody had to be in in control, in control mm-hmm. and figure out what needed to happen. And, and, you know, somebody needed to be rational and, and he was, and God gave him that strength. Um, but that was our night. I mean, it was my husband taking his moment and just crying out. And, and to be honest, Heather, I, um, one of the hardest parts for me, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit more at the end, but one of the hardest parts for me was the guilt that, and I know that this is not a guilt situation that is irrational. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. I know that I have a Holy Spirit that intercedes on my behalf. Mm-hmm. But I had a lot of guilt because I did not pray and I did not call out or cry out to God. Yeah. But I also couldn't. Right. And so now that I'm in a great place, yeah. I know that the Holy Spirit was interceding on my behalf. But in that moment, I felt so desperate and so alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It didn't even dawn on me to pray or to cry out because the waves of despair were so big. Yeah. And I wasn't able, I wasn't able to be still for one moment and, and know that God is God and know that he's protecting my son. But I thank God every day because I know he is and he was. And so I praise him for that, but uh, I had to work through that. Mm -hmm. But that was our night. Um, the, in the morning when we woke up, Dave, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Harvey was calling us at like eight o'clock saying, I'm going to be at your house. And he showed up with Mm. a number for a really great lawyer who got us connected with an even better lawyer all through like our advisory board. And that lawyer was able to get Cole out. No, there's no record. Everything is like, it never happened. Um, And actually when we picked Cole up that day, it was as if they acted as if nothing happened. Um, So it, it was a blessing. And I, if I could tell you how much, if I could make sense of 
a word to tell you how much the Harvey's ministry to us mm. means to us. I mean, it was just uh, really, really incredible. And I will always be so thankful for them. Yeah. And for the strands. Yeah. And my family. And I could keep going. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you know, talking about um, the Holy Spirit interceding for your groanings. I mean, that's scripture right there. We know that that is truth and that, that he does that for us. But you also had other people interceding for you. I prayed all night that night for you, Kelly, and for Cole and for his protection and, um, you know, all of that. And I didn't sleep either. I think, you know, I was (laughs) in my book, no one cries alone and no one goes through anything alone. Like I just, I can't, I can't help it, but take it on. So, um, yeah, you had people all around you, the, prayers of um, your family and of the saints going up on your behalf and on Cole's behalf that night. Absolutely. So once it was all over and you held your baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> you really started to, you had to go through like that grieving process. You talked about the loss and the devastation of, you know, not being in control and all of those other things, you know, that you mentioned you didn't just put it in a box and seal it up and put it away on the shelf. Little things started coming up. And one of the things I remember um, you saying to me, even a couple months after you moved here, is that you didn't want to see the color orange and mm-hmm. neither did Cole. No. Those kinds of triggers come up when we're grieving, when we're going, when we've been through something traumatic. And just walk us through some of those things, like how that, how you you know, deal with some of those things as they come along. Yeah. Well, um, to put in context, the color orange, when we went to go see Cole to give him the medication, it really just, you know, asthma stuff. And we saw him behind glass. He was wearing an orange jumpsuit. So the next, the following day, while we were waiting for the lawyer, it was really kind of um, amazing just how, again, Colonel Harvey was there with us because once the lawyer said, he said, oh, well, give me until 12. They've got nothing. Give me until 12. I'll get them out. And um, Colonel Harvey was like, okay, we have a house to clean. Let's get cleaning. We have some time. We yeah. got we to clean this house. Keep your so mind busy. He was really, yeah, he was really just helping us to, to make that time go faster. I feel like if we didn't have that, that morning would have been just drawn out so long for us. Yeah. Um, but while we were cleaning, I went upstairs to Cole's room. His room was the first one to pack because I thought he's moving out to camp with me. Yeah. And I just wanted to be in his room. And um, so anyway, I was going through all of his his clothes and going through all of his things, packing it and everything orange in his bedroom, including all of his clothes, I threw away. Mm. Um, I couldn't imagine I can't I still can't imagine seeing him in that color mm-hmm. yeah. I can't mm-hmm. and and he's free yeah and he's free in so many ways yeah. um but I just that is you're right there are triggers and that's a trigger for me yeah and it's not that I'll wear orange <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my other kids can wear orange I don't want to see Cole in orange yeah and um and he as you know, maybe to some it might even seem irrational, but I think that he understands that for me, yeah. and so he is in agreement yeah. <laughs> that we will not be purchasing our yeah. clothes in the color of orange. But there are lots of different things that I grieved, and again, it was that 
as we talked, that loss of not being able to control anything. Mm -hmm. There was nothing I could do to help Cole. Not one thing. There's nothing I could say. There was nothing I could do. I wasn't even allowed to comfort him. Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to hold him Mm -hmm. like a mom would want to do. Right. And to see my son completely empty of any spirit. Yeah. There was nothing I could fix. And that's that's in my that's our roles. That right. is our role as a mom is to fix and to help and to um soothe and to yeah. not only that, but then it was my physical body. It just kept responding in such a I mean Honestly, I think that I remember hearing conversations of we should probably take her to see oh to the gosh, hospital yeah. or something because I just couldn't stop. Right. Um, I did settle down, but mm-hmm. but even that was I knew that I needed to stop. And I was telling myself to stop, mm-hmm. to breathe, to get yourself together. I that's not me. Everybody who knows me was just going to say that she's a strong woman. People always, she's strong. You're always the one that's like, get yourself together, woman. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And here I was trying to coach myself to do the same thing. And my husband was, you know, in, in a caring way raising his voice a little bit to get me to stop because he was concerned for me Um, and there was just nothing I could do and so even that loss of control was too much it was everything it was the loss of everything yeah you know I had two little guys who came right. home wanted to know what happened and what could I say to them and why where was Cole and why wasn't he coming home mm-hmm. and I had Keegan who is old enough to understand and upset because right. his brother is in a place that he shouldn't be I went through a period and I still have it I still go through grieving families that don't have the same resources as we do yeah And the fact that we do have white privilege Mm. and there are so many who are persecuted and hurting for things that are just, they're, they're innocent and they're things that they can't control. And what happens to them? They don't have all of these legal resources and monetary resources where we were able to get so much help and to get Cole out in 24 hours. I had to grieve feeling, um, I, this sounds weird, but I, I grieved feeling blessed because so many are not. And I didn't, for a, a while I was thinking, what can I do? You know, how can I help? And, you know, I, I can't, the Lord has not revealed a specific plan to me mm-hmm. except for that. If somebody else is in the same situation, I know so much more than I did before. Yeah. I know so much more about my parents' rights right. um, that I would be able to be a good resource for them. But, you know, what does, what happens to those guys? Yeah. I had this guilt, which mm-hmm. is a form of grief. And again, I know how incredible it was and 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 Heather you shared and and I love that so many were praying for us but I had the guilt of not praying myself 
-hmm. and here like everybody is is coming alongside us and they're and they're praying and and I didn't and I didn't realize that until afterwards yeah I had to grieve moving on you know it was the worst moments of my life but really was only 24 hours right and then we had to go on like nothing happened right and how weird that life just keeps going, but I'm stuck in this pain and fear. But but we're going to start camp tomorrow. Yeah, right. <laughs> camp orientation starting, and now things are going to be normal. And you have to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. We ended up, Mike and Cole and I, we went to a trauma debrief, and it was really, really, really good. Um, it was a, a counselor that sat with us. Um, we each shared what had happened from our perspective, um, our, each of our perspectives, mine, Mike's, Cole's. It was good for us to hear the details of his the, his perspective of everything that happened and to hear about the things that he saw and hear about even what it looked like of where he stayed. It just really kind of helped put some perspective for us. Like for instance, Cole shared that there was a girl who was happy to be there. And so we were able to say, well, Cole, she probably, you know, this is the most she's taken care of. Maybe she doesn't have a place to sleep. Maybe, maybe she's homeless. Maybe she doesn't have three meals a day. Maybe home wasn't safe for her. Maybe home was not safe for her, Uh, but he couldn't. It was so strange to him that this teenage girl was happy to be where where they were right so we were able to really just work through some things with a professional and that was really great the other really great thing was even um though i think mike and i sharing our own perspectives with all of the emotion and everything that we um did try to do for him and the areas where we felt very helpless he was able to see that he has two parents who love him so yeah, much right. that would do anything for him. Yeah. And he was able to see that he wasn't alone. Right. And he may have felt that way. I often wondered, did was like is Cole thinking that we're sitting here in silence, not right, not trying to do anything for yeah. him? Yeah. You know, we 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 didn't think that we could. Right. Yeah, you thought it was gonna be thirty days when you went to bed that night. Right. When the police officer told us outside of the interrogation room where Cole was not, that we had one minute to say goodbye, did he think that we were just doing a quick bye and then leave him? You know, and so I wondered all of those things. But that trauma debrief really helped us to to bring everything to a close. Yeah, closure. And those of you listening out there know um, you've, if you've been through any kind of grieving or any kind of trauma like this, you know what that feels like. You can identify with that. But praise God that he doesn't leave us in that. Right. Yes, absolutely. He doesn't intend for us to live like that. You're living and walking proof of God doing an amazing um, transformation of your life. But talk about having just to pick up and just go for it. So for divisional youth secretaries who are moving, you have to get camp started and then hand it off to someone else and then go move to your next appointment, um, which all happens within a month, basically. So now fast forward, you've 
moved to Chicago area. You've mm. picked up your life trying to get back to normal, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Now we're sitting January 2020. You and I, we went to an event for that we have in the Salvation Army called Regeneration. It's for young adults and it's a weekend mm-hmm. retreat. There's speakers and classes you can take and fellowship and like it's just a it's an amazing weekend. And during that weekend they had a prayer ministry called Connect Up and they offered to do these times of individual prayer. You could go and sign up for a session. And I know I signed up for one and I didn't want to do it. <laughs> At first I just, you know, not that I don't believe in the power of prayer because I do, but it just was a little kind of like, um, I don't know about this. This is new. This is new for all of us. This whole thing. <laughs> Yeah. But I went and it was it was incredible. And I won't share my story here. I'll I'll save that for another time, but I didn't even know that you had gone. I didn't even know your experience until after the event, like we were sitting around talking at your house, I think one night. So tell us about your experience with Connect Up. So I went into the room and what they do is there's one person, which for me was Katie Luce. I can't remember the other lady's name, but for sure I remember Katie Luce. And um, she was sitting in the corner of um, the room and her job is really just to discern the Holy Spirit. And she listens to your prayers. It's kind of like a guided prayer time. And and so she listens to what's taking place in this conversation and this time of prayer. And she writes down little notes of like the blessings that we might not see are blessings, mm. but she is, again, discerning from the Holy Spirit and she's writing down these blessings. So... I talked about my new ministry being uh, brand new as territorial candidate secretary. I think I talked about like wanting new vision, Mm -hmm. but the part that was really transforming for me is right at the very end, Katie Lou stands up. She tells me all about like what the paper is that she writes down all the little blessings about. And then she says, if you don't mind, I just want to share with you that the Holy Spirit has given me a vision for you. And I was like, I was praying for (laughs) vision for ministry, (laughs) but, and then she asked for permission for her to share that vision with me. And so I said, of course, like, I'm not going to deny listening to, you know, the vision from the spirit. Right. And so she said, well, in this vision, there is a lioness and the lioness is created to do amazing things. The lioness is strong and brave and is just created to be free, free Mm -hmm. to do kingdom work. And in this vision, there's an enemy and the enemy has the lioness in a cage. And the lioness is so worried about her cub that she doesn't realize that she's the one locked up. And I didn't mention Cole to them. Mm -hmm. And it was so true because Cole was fine. Right. Cole was doing normal things and he was doing well. The move was good for him. But I didn't realize that I was falling apart. I really was. I'm going to give it an an illustration about cake, actually, because I love cake. We bake a cake and... 
the cake can look so beautiful on the outside that if we take it out too soon of the oven, what happens is that the cake is unable to withstand pressure from an undone center. And that's what was happening to me. Yeah. And I was so busy trying to make sure that the cake looked perfect on the outside that I didn't realize that the trauma and the grief and the guilt that I had on the inside was causing an undone center. Mm. And as quickly as I was putting things together and making everything look so beautiful, I was caving in. And so her vision unlocked all of that for me. And it opened my eyes to the fact that I was being held captive. It was so true that I was so worried about Cole that I didn't realize that it was me. It was me that was still stuck. It was me that was still trapped. It was an amazing time. And I just started sobbing and then shared with them what had happened with Cole and just the feeling of the presence of God in that room. And I'm telling you, I left that room completely free of all of that guilt, of all of the anxiety, of all of the fear, the trauma, the grief. And quite literally, I mean, there were moments where I had to use some tools that we were given by the trauma debrief counselor of, you know, it's kind of a calming tool of even just trying to focus on where to set my feet are on the floor. Yeah. You know, I'm sitting at my desk. I'm at work. Everything is fine. I'm breathing. There's fresh air coming through the vents. Cole is at school. My phone has not rung. You know, it was going through all of these steps to just kind of keeping it cool. I have not had to do that since walking out from Connect Up. Wow. It really was an amazing experience. It was so powerful. So powerful. And I just, if you ever have the opportunity to experience Connect Up, you should really, really take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. That was my same experience as I walked in with my own expectations and walked out a completely changed person. Yeah. Like from the inside out. Yeah. Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about this today. I know that um, it's, you can hear it in your voice that it's still tender. It's still tender for you even three years later. It's still tender for me. I think it always will be. Yeah. And, you know, grief comes in all different shapes and sizes. And it's completely okay to walk right into that grief and experience every part of it, even though it hurts. But it's so important that we do feel and go through the process of grief. And then to remember that God is faithful Amen. and he is sovereign. And maybe maybe what's keeping you locked up, maybe there's like anxieties that you, you have or insecurities or anger or whatever it is, um, whatever could be keeping you locked up. You're free and you don't have to be held back by any of those things that are keeping you held captive. You God that wants you to be free. And I praise him every day for that. Oh, just want to thank Captain Kelly so much for taking us along on her journey, not only just through grief, but also through the healing process and the amazing work of the Holy Spirit in her life. So thank you listeners for staying with us through this series. 
and we're not quite done yet, so just remember to keep tuning in. But that's all for today. And as always, I hope that this podcast has left you feeling prepared and equipped for tomorrow. And I'll see you real soon. God bless you. Thank you.